0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Story Slam Podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories recorded at our live events in Bristol, UK. All the stories you're going to hear are true and come straight from our audience. We release episodes every Thursday, where you'll get to hear the next part of our recorded show if you have a story that you'd like to share with us we'd love to hear it so please stay tuned till the end for more information on how you can do that make sure that you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast and other than that enjoy the show you're listening to episode number 50 of the story slam podcast welcome back again this is of course the second part of our theme of justice this month hope you're enjoying it so let's get right on with the show um let's have another storyteller. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Storyteller's gonna be Harriet. Woo! Right, Harriet does have a content warning and that is death or murder. Okay, someone needs to wait for Harriet. I crept upon my brother with a bucket of water to throw over him, but forgot to let go of the bucket at the appropriate moment. And <laughs> drenched myself instead. It was a hot day and we were outside. Oh, oh, that's quite a nice postscript. It's like, oh actually it was quite nice though. It's like, good. I like that, it's like, it's kind of, oh there's a really great gif online. Have you ever seen that, it's a gif of that young boy who's like walking over to a swimming pool with a cat in his arms and he tries to throw the cat in and the cat like does a ninja move and like grabs onto him and pulls him in instead. And, like jumps off him, like yes, love it, <laughs> love it. Right, okay, I think we'll have a big round of applause then please for Harriet.
1: If I can get out of the lights <laughs> um, uh, this is a story that um, I hardly even think of it as a story actually it 's just something I need to sh- I would like to share um, i don 't feel good about myself in this story, though my part is tiny irrelevant but i let I let a very good friend down by not supporting. Um, I used to work as a painter and decorator um, in the 19, late 1980s and 90s. And it was quite a challenging thing to do then as a woman, because you'd go into a you know, a builder's suppliers. And it was a challenge. You had to be really up there, just go to the front. And as you were pushed out of the way and ignored, you would just push back and make a joke. And, but it was tough every day. It seemed to be tough. And I was working with a team and, uh, in South London. And the guys, mainly, were just quite ready to hit on you. You just had to do anything, and they'd be hitting on you, and it would be really awkward. But one of the guys was this absolute giant, gorgeous guy. Up here, literally, I, I don't know what his measurements were, but. He was just really lovely, and he was an amazing plasterer. He could plaster a wall, and it would look like glass. And he had had done loads of other things as well. He'd just pick up a skill, and he could just do it. And there was something about the simplicity of him. Like, it's a skill. I do it. This is a job. I do it. This is my family. You know, it was just come straightforward. No bullying, none of this sort of hierarchical shit that I was having to plow through every day. And we just got on incredibly well. And the joke for him was, in the trade, the plasterer is the one that plasters over all the light fittings. You are the one, as the decorator, that comes around and chips off all their bloody plaster. And so we had a really, you know, he'd, he'd do this amazing plastering job. And you wouldn't be able to see where the skirting board was anymore. And I was like, oh, thanks, thanks. I'll just chip it all off. And I did. And, and we'd just gone incredibly well. And we used to have these competitions, because he then, once he'd plastered, because was, he was so fucking quick. And we were doing this huge house inside and out. I mean, it was like five stories. It was massive. And once he'd done his job, he just took over working with me. And he'd paint a ceiling. I would be up the ladder (laughs) having a race to try and beat this guy. And um, never could, because he didn't need a ladder. And then he could paint a Georgian window with strips this thin with a four-inch brush. I'd be with a little sable brush trying to paint this. And he'd beat me every time. And he'd just always stand up for me. And the bloke we worked for, obviously, was very peculiar. Any trouble at all, this guy would come in, sort it out, make sure I got paid. It was wonderful. At the same time, I was working as an artist and had a studio in East London. And every year, we'd have a big open studio, and he'd bring his family along. And I mean, it was like a piece of heaven. There he is up here, this beautiful wife, two gorgeous kids. And as I said, they'd just walk in. Everyone else would be going, oh, that's shit. Oh, what the fuck's that? <laughs> Is that a goat? Is that a goat or a man? And you'd be kind of like, actually, I've spent all year working on this. And these, these would come in. They'd want to know what you'd done, how you'd done it. So open, so lovely. And once I finished the job, we wouldn't we keep in touch. You know, he was a big South London guy, had his own family. I was an East London artist, bringing gentrification to East London, sadly, because that's what we do. And we lost touch. But the guy we'd worked for had mutual friends, so I sort of knew what was going on. And I discovered they'd lost a son. And my life wasn't going well. I was on the 18th floor in a council flat with two small kids and a very unhelpful partner. And I was really struggling. I was failing all around. And I didn't get in touch with the guy. And I can't tell. got pins and needles all over, with regret at having let this guy down. He'd lost a son. I knew what it was like to have a son now. And I really, really badly let them down. And the way in which this is about justice is that when we talk about justice, we're talking about a rape victim has finally managed to go to court and get the rapist sent to prison. It doesn't make the rape go away. It doesn't stop the fact that it can take you 20 years to want to be in a relationship with a man again where this person's done three years in prison. This family have gone on to change our society. They are the ones that brought us institutional racism to the fore. It was Neville Lawrence I was working with, and it was his son, Stephen, that was coming to my studio. And I let them down by not being there for him. And they don't ever get their son back. Whatever Doreen's done, the amazing, incredible Baroness Doreen is changing our society. But there's no justice for her because they'll never get Stephen back. And I just think if I've learned anything it's bloody stand by people. You're not going to change it. You can't, you know the real justice, it's not about sending someone to prison, it's by not having it happen in the first place. But, anyway.
0: Big round of applause for Harriet. I don't even know what to say, because I because I think you're exactly right that the real justice is not letting these things happen in the first place. Is that possible? I don't know. I don't know if it's possible to stop all the unjust things that happen. I'd like to think so. I think in that story, Harriet sounds like you were being treated very unjustly as well. It sounds like injustice upon injustice. I don't know if you want what I think, but I don't think that you are awful for not contacting that guy. I don't think that you are are evil or bad. I think that everyone has these lives that are horrible and with all this meaningless pain in them. So, I'm sorry for you, and I'm sorry for that man who lost his child. Thank you very much for your story. Thank you very, very much. Right. Right. Let's have another one of these. I was bullied to the point of one day refusing to go to school anymore, and I loved school. My sister promised to look after me and convinced me to go in, I did, and I noticed the bully was keeping more distance. Years later, I discovered my sister had got the bully out of lesson, shoved her against a wall, and threatened her. Whilst I don't condone violence, it's nice to know she had my back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sort of gets to the heart of vigilante justice, really, doesn't it? Is, like, is, is vigilante justice ever justified? Probably. Probably. Let's probably not very often, but I would like to think that sometimes. But I do worry with Visan Justice that it's just that it is this kind, of, um, it's this kind of random assortment of beliefs that are being enacted upon other people, and that's scary. That's very scary. Right, So another storyteller. Drum roll, please. This is going to be Safia. Woo! Okay, while well, I wait for Safia. I've got him more online stories. Oh no, I'm gonna have to be creative. Oh, that's terrifying. That is the most terrifying thing of all. I think <laughs> having to be like interesting on stage. Um, no, I'm all out, guys. Can't, can't quite think. So I think we're going to invite Safia to the stage. Yay. Where is she? They're up all Safia. Come on. Yay. Yeah. Patty has been one of our organisers today, so a big round of applause for Patty. You would have seen her coming through, and always tells amazing stories. So,
2: you should have done a bigger entrance. What?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Um. So I am a dancer and um, spoken word artist now, um, and I did lots of. Um, Dancing while I was while I was in London. So I actually I actually grew up in in Barbados, but I was born in Woolwich. Um, and the story I'm going to tell you is about a time when I was um, looking to perform for a company in London. Um, are any of you aware of The Apprentice? Yeah. yeah? Okay. So it was, it was, it basically um, a corporate event was going on, and they were trying to hire dancers and you know different different performers for their their very strange and badly organised events, um, and it was a lot of people in corporate suits, and the event that they were trying to put on was. Um, I don't. I don't even know what the product was for, but it was. It was just. It was a product. It was like they were trying to be quirky and cool. It was probably um, one of them was an accountant. Uh, I don't know. They could probably break dance too, and um, <laughs> and one of the um, the themes was there was a theme around it. They wanted to make it hip. They wanted to bring in as many people as possible. Um, so they basically hired, tried to hire a lot of dancers, and I was one of the people who was, who was called up to, to see if I could do the event. Um, so I went to the, um, to see them. It wasn't, well, I, obviously I already had the job, I didn't need an interview, <laughs> you know what I'm Okay, so I, um, right, so I walked in, and there was a, um, a board of people, and I basically asked them, OK, what, what is the sort of thing you're looking for? And they said, OK, we want a really high-class event, lots of cool dancing, just lots of, lots of cool stuff. So they didn't know anything about dancing or anything about anything. So I was just like, OK, all right, just, just tell me the theme. They said, think classy, think James Bond, and doing lots of flamboyant movements. Okay, so you, all right, this is, this is a lot of corporate garbage. Um, <laughs> and so when I, I was asking more questions and I said, okay, so would you, what, what type of people are you, are you looking to entertain? What type of people do you want at your event? And they said, well, basically other corporate people and um, people with lots of money and really high class people, no chabs. We don't want this to be a chavy event. I said, what, what, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by, by, by chavy event? Let's, let's, let's break this down because I'm about to school you and I know you don't know me, but you will know me soon. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know me, once upon a time, actually very recently, a guy said, well, um, I've seen you before in my dreams. And I said, uh, no, I only appear in people's nightmares. So... <laughs> So come so yes, yeah, so come come tell me what, what you what a chab is. What sort of people do you not want at your event? This club slash corporate event or some kind of gimmick that you're trying to to um, produce and, and sell to the world. And he said, Well we don't want people to come in with trainers, you know, we don't want people to come in with hoodies, we don't want you know, you know, like like lower class people. And I said <laughs> well first I looked at him. <laughs> Okay, right, now I grew up in Woolwich. I grew up on, on, in a council house. And I was lucky enough to go to a very good school and have amazing opportunities. And the, the point I'm trying to get across is that I had the opportunities to do certain things so I was able to elevate myself. But chav actually means council house animal vermin. Now, a lot of you may not know this and a lot of you may have heard that, okay, a chav is somebody who wears lots of sports clothes and big hoopy earrings and tries to look like Sporty Spice. No. A chav is, is actually a word that was invented by the middle class and it means council house animal vermin. So I, sold, I asked this person again and I said, okay, so please explain to me what you mean that you don't want certain people to come to your event. And they said, well, we just don't want, you know, chavs. We just don't want... So I said, okay, so you don't want working-class people, people who live in council house estates. That's what you're saying. Because you also have to remember that to get to the point that you're at in business, people have to start from somewhere. And nobody comes out of the room wanting to live in a certain place or be in a certain position. So tell me again! And I kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing them and pushing them to make them realise that actually when you come from a certain background, you, sh- you should not be excluded. And I come from a certain background, so I was basically saying to them, okay, so, do you, so should I not perform for you? Because cause technically you're, 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 you're saying that I shouldn't be there. And they said, well, no, you're not a chav. And I said, why? And they said, because you, you, know, you speak eloquently and you look away. And I'm thinking, no, 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 That's not what, that's, that's not the point. The point is is that I had an opportunity to be in a position where I could learn professional dancing and be here. So all that aside, I said, I'm afraid I cannot perform for you, I can't do anything for you. And, you know, they were like, Well well why? You know, we're paying you good money and I said, Well, you don't do events for chavs, I don't work for ignorant human beings. You stupid motherfucker. Okay, so that's my story, thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Safia. I think I just really appreciated your, I mean, obviously that was like massive amounts of integrity to not work for people who are just so bigoted, so amazing, for starters. But also, I love the idea of pushing people to try and explain exactly what they mean, because so often people, I think, maybe, maybe sometimes they hasn't even considered it, or exactly what, do this all, what does this all mean by chav, you know, and... It's just that awful idea of, 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 of categorizing people and judging people on things that, they just, that is not in their control. You know, just for somewhere you are born or the amount of money that your parents had or all this stuff is like, such discrimination and prejudice. Y- ugh. Yuck. Yuck. Um, right, I think we're we'll gonna have one more chat, one more, chat, one more um, story for the interval. So, drum roll, please. Next is gonna be Catherine. Is that right? Yeah, good, (laughs) woo! Okay, um, we'll have one more of these while we wait for Catherine. Okay. There was this girl in my class in middle school who was a really early bloomer and she used to bully me all the time about not having boobs and not getting my period as soon as everyone else. Went to different high schools after that, but in final year we met again She was exactly like she used to in middle school, but I had finally gone through puberty and I was uh, way taller than her and and had F-cups. Her expression when she realized who I was felt felt like absolute justice. Yeah. I am fucking fit. Didn't spell out, did you? I'm really glad to hear that. That's like, that's like really like nice and kind of innocent justice. That's nice. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Big round of applause, please, for Catherine. (laughs)
3: Hello. Uh, This is my first time, so bear with me. Um, (laughs) This is a story about um, personal justice and uh, sometimes justice takes a fucking long time. But, um, yeah, this is uh, 30 years in the making. Um, so I'll give you a tiny bit of history, and then I'll leap forwards. Um, yeah, I was uh, raised in an a unpleasant home full of violence and abuse and neglect, um, a mother with mental health problems and a stepfather with... Uh, a equal amounts of mental health problems, and alcoholism, and the the classic shit pile that a child can find themselves in without, um, without much uh, control or um, a way out. Um, so I got to 16, and I found my way out. I got out, and I moved back home to um, live with my father. Um, And nobody tells you that life can come as a fucking tsunami of relentless, relentless, um, endless shit. Um, And some people, um, some people just find themselves in this world. Um, And I was one of those people Um, so I finally got out and then my mum got cancer at 16 and then my dad got cancer at 18 and I spent this whole whole life this life that I had scratching and striving and surviving Um, and I spent my 20s looking after people dying people just around me being ill and and all the time, I'm trying to keep happy and keep smiling and keep going and keep, keep learning and keep educating myself. And I got through a degree and I started a career, but I was still looking after people who were dying. And my dad died at 25, when I was 25. Um, and then there was a silence, a just a a null and void silence um, that I was filling with my own addictions and my own mental health problems that I'd acquired from this relentless tsunami of shit. And, <laughs> and then the silence was filled with another thing. Um, then my grandma, who was living on her own, developed Alzheimer's and I found myself becoming her sole carer because that was my role. My role was to care for other people, care for their needs and not my needs. (sighs) And then I got to 27 and that was it. That was it. It was over for me. I was done. My body was done. My mind was done. And I had a complete emotional, mental, spiritual break. And then the silence was there even more. It was there, the silence, the stillness. And in that stillness, I started finding me. It was my body and my mind and my soul and my spirit telling me, no fucking more, you cannot do any more. So I took a period of stillness and silence and I tried to work out how I was going to make my life better because this is not what was meant for me. So I worked out what made me happy, what I was good at, what I was really good at, and that was plants and that was gardening. And I'd already done a degree but that was a that was gone, that was that was over. My peers had Gone on their trajectory, and I was stuck. So I worked it out. I worked out how can how can I make this better? So I, I started re-educating myself. I started um, learning about plants. I started working out how I could make a career, how I could work and educate myself to a better life. So I. I moved to Scotland, I worked in a garden for a year. I moved to New Zealand, I worked there for a year working in gardens. (laughs) And then somehow I I managed to get on a a place at what's uh, renowned to be the the world's best institute for horticulture, which is uh, Kew Gardens in London. It's the most competitive um, institute. And I got a place and I did it. And I worked and worked, and I published in magazines, and I designed gardens, and I worked in the palm house, and I climbed trees, and I climbed mountains, and collected plants. And I wrote and wrote, and and then I got a job in the BBC, because they wanted my knowledge. They wanted to know what I knew about plants. And I built this world and this network of people and, and knowledge, and... I was travelling all over the country making films for the BBC and learning about making films and da, 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 and then one day I just thought I'm done. I've done it. I've done what I intended to do and I've still got a broken heart. So I quit. I quit my job. I quit it all. And now I'm unemployed. And I'm really, really fucking happy because what I'm doing now (laughs) is getting the help that I should have done 20 years ago. And I'm doing it for me. And I've heard what I need. And I know what I need. And within those plants and within those people I've met and those networks, I've got a foundation from which I can heal now. And I want to say thank you.
0: Catherine. I, um, for my first thought is I'm so happy how that story has ended, but of course the story hasn't ended, it continues, and life continues as it always does. Um, something, you said, something you said is that dealing with people who are dying, and it is something that... I'm sure the vast majority of us will have to deal with at some point is people dying or, or parents dying. And those things are something that are so integral to what we do as, as humans that we are all going to experience something, something similar or something like it. And we can stop people having childhoods and lives like that. That's something we can't achieve. We can't stop people dying. So... If you have someone in your life who's dealing with, with for someone who's dying as a soul carer, or you know someone who is going through these times, go talk to them, go talk to them, go tell them you love them, and go help them. Because we, we can always all use more help getting through these things. What we're going to do is... Thank you so much all storytellers so far. They've all been absolutely amazing. We're going to take a quarter of an hour break. Um, please go get a drink from the bar. Go tell the storytellers how amazing their stories were. And um, please put some more. Uh, if you've got some stories to tell, please put them in the hat here. All nice stories here. Um, can't wait to hear them. See you again in a quarter of an hour. Thanks, guys. And that is the end of our show for today. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in next week for more true stories told live on stage. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at speakeasystoryslam at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. We can get more news about the slam, but also see photos from the event. Um, Also, if you'd like to tell us a story in person, then please come join us for our live events. They are every 3rd sunday of the month at the wardrobe theatre in bristol uk we can't wait to see you so from everyone here at story slam have a great week